0: Now, where did I put them? Hmm. Ah, here it is. Welcome to the toolbox. Tools for life and everything in between. Stuff you can use or toss. It's up to you. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to episode 13 of Tools for the Toolbox. I am very excited to bring you this uh, this episode. It is it's going to be awesome but as usual i'm going to let my guest introduce himself so who are you and what is your military background
1: uh hi chance i'm uh, pat Stogren. um i'm retired colonel uh with the ppcli princess patricia's canadian light infantry i joined in 1976 to get a degree in electrical engineering and go off and make millions of dollars uh but uh, decided in my first tour with 3PPCLI that uh, I'd like to command a battalion. So uh, the first wrong career choice I made was uh, to stay in the Army and not go into microcomputers in the early 80s. But um, so I, I served uh, a healthy amount of time on regimental duty, um, served with the Canadian Airborne Regiment I served a year in Bosnia as a military observer and then capped off my military career commanding uh, three PPCLI in uh, Afghanistan in Kandahar in 2002. It was downhill from there on. Um, I I had no more ambitions in the military, Uh, became a green collar worker because I had been told that I wasn't, by General Hillier, that I wasn't earmarked to command a brigade. So I considered myself to be a green collar worker, but that worked into my plans because I'd only ever set my sights on battalion command. And um, uh, so I had a couple of good jobs and was in a key planning position for our, the Canadian forces return to, uh, to Afghanistan, to Kabul this time um, and uh, uh, actually contributed to the Canadian plans for, the return to Kandahar in 2005. I very quickly, uh, alienated myself from the chain of command because, uh, we were just acting like Americans and, uh, uh, the, the mission was doomed for failure. But of course, nobody really knew what the, uh, definition of mission success was, but, uh, it, it turned into a big search and destroy and a lot of generals getting, uh, uh, battle honors, and um, I became increasingly marginalized to the point where uh, uh, there was an opportunity for me to interview for the job of Veterans Ombudsman, and I thought that would be a great way to to uh, bow out gracefully and professionally and um, contribute to the troops. But uh, that was the worst three years of my life. I've uh, no doubt. Uh, I, after watching our troops getting butchered overseas, and uh, watching government up close and personal—and I mean as personal as you and I talking—I was with ministers and and uh, useless backbenchers. Now I'm starting to, the PTSD, starting to come out. Who uh, we're cheating? No other word for it. We're cheating our young veterans, and uh, uh, it was three years of torture. And uh, I went out on a high note because I think uh, if I did nothing else, we started talking about homelessness. We started talking about financial security for veterans. Uh, um, And um, if nothing else, Brian Dick, who uh, was at my final press conference, a veteran who was consumed by Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, died knowing that his family received the benefits that he should have been entitled to all along. Um, So needless to say, I was pretty messed up from that. Uh, Went on the war path afterwards. Uh, uh, My career had been uh, sort of set up in military procurement. So I fully expected to become um, a gun runner, uh, you know, get into defense sales in the afterlife. But I wanted no part of that. I became an activist for veterans and that ultimately uh, I saw an opportunity to uh, make a run for politics and perhaps get on the stage uh with the so-called leadership of this country but uh it was an ill-conceived move and uh, I had to abort my attempt at the leadership of the NDP um but now I'm a grandfather immersed in music and uh uh, I, I kind of, I, I, I did uh, a podcast, as you know, uh, Chance. I, I tried to get a, a live discussion group going. Uh, did it for about a year. Uh, love the medium, huge potential, love participating in this. Thank you very much for inviting me, Chance. And uh, I, I think it has huge potential. Uh, but that was a year of really hard work, uh, doing the research, uh, trying to keep it on on a leading edge in terms of uh, uh, addressing issues, but also recruiting an audience. So, you know, you're a jack of all trades. But um, yeah, I'm a grandfather now, so I've sucked in my horns and uh, trying to stay alive during this COVID crisis. And really what caused me to pull in my horns, Chance, was uh, if this pandemic and the idiocy we see in Ottawa um, hasn't convinced people that we really have to uh, reevaluate what we expect what what our leaders should be delivering to us, or we're pooched. And uh, a- a- and uh, I don't mean that figuratively. Uh, I mean uh, historically. Uh, so-called um, political scientists who understand uh, past conflicts will tell you we're on a path we, we're seeing it unravel quickly in the united states and we're in a tinder box here with our own problems so uh it's great to get together with you and, and talk about leadership and hopefully um this this is what i would hope was going to happen with my podcast chance was guys like you would pick up the torch and start talking no holds barred about you know who's leading this country and because it's all of us as i hope we'll get into and uh so, it's, thanks for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure!
0: Absolutely, this is a again great conversation. One of the reasons I love podcasting so much is that we're um, it the long format allows for really in depth conversation, right? And you we can discuss things more so more than just talking points on uh, on an interview or. Um, the two or three minutes you get on a radio show or you know that we can actually dive into these and get some real opinions and how these how it plays out on your mindset versus my mindset so yeah i i'm very happy <laughs> just it's uh, it's fun for me and the one thing i was going to say was if you look back at any major uh, empire i guess for lack of a better word it starts to crumble when everything's too easy right everyone people get decadent to the point that they don't understand what it's like to be on the frontier anymore they don't understand what it's like to be on the cutting edge of whatever they're in right so you know you think about ancient rome the romans that lived in rome had absolutely no idea what was happening out on the outskirts in britain they didn't care they lived in rome it's, it's 2000 miles away they don't give a shit and in here in canada it's the same thing you have people that are sitting in ottawa with their grand jobs and sitting up in their parliament and talking great large uh, topics and how we're going to save the country and what we're going to do next and blah, blah blah blah, most of them have never actually worked a job.
1: Uh, yeah, but job. you know what I'd say, chance is uh, they all think they're doing the best job they can, and that was the intent behind leaderology. Is there are uh, there are really well established um, doctrines in in psychology and and uh, and neurology, that explain to us why we delude ourselves to think that you and I are the smartest fucking people in the world. Am I allowed to use that word? Oh, yeah. You and I are the smartest people in the world, and everybody, else, the politicians, are just a bunch of dummies. And and but what it is, chance, is it's our egos. The fact our egos do not want to tell us. That we're thuds, and uh, or that we're doing the wrong thing, and uh, that is why a, uh, a uh, we've got to revise our understanding of leadership because it's been written by and about the people who have succeeded. And as you will know from the uh, Jocko Willink uh, doctrine, leaders are winners, and the winners become our leaders, even if they cheated. To get to the top
0: yeah and you know the thing that i've noticed over time is that if there is a system in place that determines what a leader and what, what what is a leader and what isn't a leader you will start to see people play the system and because it's a system it has it has to be you can't uh you can't you can't plan for every eventuality there's going to be loopholes that are going to be exploited here and there no matter what you do and even within Jocko's stuff, I love a lot what a lot of what he has, has to say, but I'm not 100% on his doctrine. No, no, right? no, no,
1: no, but this is all good stuff, eh? No, yeah. he's, a lot of what he writes is really good stuff to consider, but it, it's not a doctrine in its, well, it it is a doctrine in a sense, but a doctrine is not a, a science, you know? These are ideas to guide us, but at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, what is the job of a leader? And
0: that's the real question, right? That's the real question. What is a leader?
1: Well, um, there, I got, I don't know if you can see my library here. I got <laughs> dozens of shelves from people that like to think they've explained what a leader is. Uh, yeah. But why are we melting down? You know, I, I'll get back to your, your thing about the uh, why empires crumble. It's a lot more complex than that, but uh, it comes back to egos again mm-hmm. and competing egos. And, uh, and, and you know, Sun Tzu, uh, like the the dragon, is about to emerge again after two millennia. Um, uh, the Chinese empire is about to emerge. And the uh, book of Sun Tzu, which I carry my little copy with me and have now for 10 years, Uh, is all about psychology of leadership. And um, we have perverted it in the West um, to the point where it's all about winning. And the books get written about the winners. And uh, it it takes years. And and politics is a great petri dish for us to examine. Uh, The warts on the politicians, the kind of despots and tyrants that they really were, don't emerge until the historians start going through the files and we find out that we have been duped, especially in Canada. You know, we go back right now, it's topical to be talking about the uh, systemic racism in Canada. Well, it's all characterized by our government's treatment of our first nations people. And that goes right back to Sir John A. MacDonald. And I'm sorry, folks, um, Our successive governments to this very day, Prime Minister Trudeau was praised by Gordon Downey on his final uh, concert uh, for bringing fresh water to First Nations people. It's all smoke and mirrors. And that is going to explode in our face. That will be the collapse of our empire. Already we we see law and order starting to break down. Uh, Nothing like in the United States, but uh, ironically that's caused us to become more smug about our system here in Canada and and our approach to leadership. In actual fact, um, I can say categorically that uh, I have seen the Americanization of the Canadian forces since uh, I served with them. I was under command of an American colonel um, in 2002, and I was proud of the difference, what we brought to the fight. But successive um, generals have very much uh, Americanized our approach to business.
0: I think a lot of them got got kind of used to the fact that the Americans were just there, and especially with Afghanistan, right?
1: Well, it's it's deeper than that. Um, I, um, I don't
0: know them personally. Obviously, our
1: <laughs> chief of defense staff served in the the, the uh, um, American Joint Headquarters in Naples. Uh, NATO, it's a NATO headquarters, but it's American. We we have been trying to emulate. American forces. General Hillier was one with the American forces. And quite honestly, um, right from Operation Mountain Thrust uh, in 2005, when we went on and the media billed it as the biggest search and destroy operation since troops had arrived in Afghanistan. Well, it didn't work in Vietnam. It's never worked. It's not an approach to settle an insurgency. And it's no surprise that the Taliban handed us our ass and showed us to the door. Yeah, the you know And it's not through no fault. Let me yeah. let me qualify that, Jeff. Yeah. It's through no fault of the troops. You know, uh uh our troops were first class warriors and uh much like American troops in Vietnam, we never lost a firefight. Um We've lost troops, we've lost warriors, but um uh, that doesn't win wars, that wins yeah, battles. Exactly. And we train generals to fight wars, and sadly, that's why I left the Canadian forces chance. Yeah.
0: It's one of the hardest things to 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 really look back on, especially from being there and knowing what it was like and the fact that you know, any time they stood up to us, we handed them their ass two times from Sunday, right? Like it it didn't matter that we kicked their ass every day, every time they stepped out the door they were kicking us out kicking our ass in the long game right it wasn't about whether we took panjway again because they knew that we didn't have the ability to just sit there for 25 30 40 and, and, years
1: i don't want to get into a talk about the strategy but yeah. you know we can argue about the significance of panjway also in terms of uh, of the uh the grand strategy if you will but there was no grand strategy so without a a larger strategy of how are we going what is the end game all of that becomes like the troops were and this is long after me the the idea of whack a taliban like whack-a-mole that was troops from the third battalion were telling me that's what it turned into there was a strategy at ndhq of mowing the grass we're just going in there to mow the grass again. That's where I decided it was time for me to leave. Like to me, that was just grotesquely unprofessional. Because you all, we we all heard it, chance. We heard the talk about the Taliban or we have the watches, the Taliban have the time. If a conventional army doesn't win, then or 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 no um or well, something about if you don't win, you lose. And uh, Anyways, all of these buzzwords came out. General Hillier was great with the buzzwords, but at the end of the day, now the Taliban are basically dictating the terms to a president who's had a gut full of the carnage. Um what I, I think uh, I think Kandahar was hugely, hugely uh, doable for Canadians. Hugely. But I knew from Mountain Thrust that it was doomed.
0: Yeah, the thing that what uh, I took from it was, you know, in uh, About Face by Hackworth, he was he, he said you have to out G the G, right? Talking about Vietnam, you have to out gorilla the gorilla. You can't fight an insurgency as a conventional force in terms of conventional maneuvering, and think you're going to win. Like I just you have so many. Oh, well, it's funny
1: you bring up Hackworth. Though I've got a couple of books of his on my shelf uh yeah. one given to me by a young officer when i left the time but the first one that was given to me was his first book about face where combat yeah. hackworth talked about now it's been a long time since i read that book it was given to me by a uh, patricia uh, brother of mine who uh, i followed into bosnia and he was leaving he says here's a good book for you to read and i the reason why i'm getting excited at this chance sorry to uh, cut you off but uh good. His story resonated with me. You know, he yeah. had this this I per, uh, persona of being a combat guy and uh, he just Infantry, saw like... the lunacy yeah, of what yeah. the generals were doing and that's what happened to me, chats. Like yeah. I I can re- relate to Colonel Hackworth on on the highest level.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you know I I really pulled a lot out of that book because of the fact that it was a it was an evolution Right, It wasn't just a uh, general writing a book Good about, uh, no. oh, you know, whatever. Well, he you never made right it to a general. No, but you see a lot of those leadership books from generals who talk about grand strategy and this is how you lead troops and blah, 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 blah. But with Hackworth, it was, you know, he wanted to be a soldier. That's all he ever wanted to be a soldier. <laughs> and he got to a point where he realized that he couldn't be a soldier anymore. Right? Like, it, it's it is a massive evolution to go from everything you've always wanted to be to actually not wanting to do that
1: anymore <laughs> that is a uh a massive transition in your own head tell me about a chance i was devastated uh taking off the uniform I, like i had no my as you know when i interviewed you on my podcast uh, i was in the martial arts my entire career three people i was known as the fight club and uh uh, when I was a commanding officer, I, I, I love everything about Army. Um, and uh, But uh, I'll tell you, late in my career, I don't want to see any more young people hurt because of the kind of leadership we deliver to them.
0: Yeah. And so, well, this is what I wanted to really dive into anyway on the, the whole podcast is I, I want to really talk about the concept of leadership. And one of the things that I was thinking about earlier today uh, when I was preparing for this podcast was the, like for me a leader or a professional in any stance wants to get better at the thing they're trying to do right I, I don't look at a professional as someone who just gets a job and then says okay well I'm going to do this for the rest of my life it could be a professional job but someone who is a professional in that job is someone that strives to be better every time and when I think of leadership I think of someone who is going to study leadership. As a skill set, not as like, a, oh, yeah, I'm in a leadership position.
1: But I'll tell you something, Chance, that'll get you nowhere. <laughs> of course. not truly. Really. Yeah. Because um, I look at it in the military. There's a great book that's worth a read called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. Mm-hmm. And it talks about two different types of, call them leadership, but really chieftainship, two different yeah. types. There's what I would call institutional and then there's moral or feral leadership. And institutional, uh, to get ahead, you have to be a kiss-ass. You have to cultivate mentors. You have to, uh, especially in the officer ranks, and we can get into this when we talk about leadership, as whether it's a form of manipulation or uh, a way of influencing people. So institutionally, you want to... Uh, um, You want to be a bag licker. You want to make your boss happy. You don't want to speak truth to power. And I saw the two types of officers in uh, in the army. Um, I saw the careerists, the guys that gave me the EBGBs. And then, but they're all generals now. And I also saw the people that I would want to have backing me up or, you know, that I would die for. The two things don't fit. It, you can't be a moral uh, leader uh, and be successful. Um, well, take a look at the whistleblowers. If you're a whistleblower, if you put your back up to the chain of command, your career is shot. So, if you think you're a leader because you're morally on the the high side, that and a quarter won't get you a cup of coffee. You've got to get promoted to. You know, everybody looks to the the CDS and figures he's got to be the best leader in the Canadian Forces. Uh, I know him personally. I you? have a different I'm idea, a but yeah, and but people have to be more. Uh, uh, you know, we accept from our leadership, and this was the thrust of leaderology. We accept from our leadership things that we would never accept from subordinates. We kind of shrug and go, huh? Like take the pandemic. Great topic to be talking about right now because there should be plans in place. This is a life and death uh, situation that is repeating itself from the SARS, and we put things in place that politicians systematically dismantled from the SARS experience, including COVID research into a vaccine, including uh, building up uh, and maintaining stores of PPE, uh, PPE, all sorts. The decisions that were made were absolutely ludicrous, and you can. Go back and see some of my podcasts. I talked about them as they were unfolding at the the insanity of things going on. But people just look to the the uh, to Mr. Trudeau and his you know uh, his um good looks and and calm demeanor, and they say, ah, he's a great leader. He's a great leader, but he's dropped so many balls. You know, like the one thing that should jump out at people right now is. He's he's imploring provinces to come and tell him what he needs. You know, I'm here for the provinces. Is that leadership, Chance? You know, tell me what you need, and I'll look after it. He's the one that has the army with an NBC capability. Uh, uh, you know what's happening there? That's all the black art kind of thing. But uh, he's got the uh, Center for Disease Control or whatever in Winnipeg. He's got all of the assets. Why isn't he leading? And why aren't Canadians, instead of fighting each other about whose leader is better, Aaron O'Toole or Jagmeet Singh or uh, Justin Trudeau, why aren't people saying, what the fuck? There's a reason why people are getting fed up with masks, Chance. You know why? Because nobody's told us what the plan is it's masks yeah. on masks off we go from one morning to the next morning and people are getting fed up with it it's about time and instead of us fighting each other over whose leader is better let's just back off and say hey you know what Trudeau you've had a go who's next
0: you know one of the things uh, as you're talking it reminded me of uh, afghanistan we're 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 so busy trying to figure out who's in charge that no one's actually giving us uh, a reason to fight. Like oh, if, Chance, I- if, if someone I, I, come up with a sign, like I, I just mean like if someone would come out and what, just fight out and say, okay, here's the plan. We're gonna wear masks for the next six months. We're gonna close down this, 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 and this. We're gonna see this effect and then we're gonna move on to plan stage two. If we don't see this effect then we're gonna move on to plan B and then move uh, on- Yeah, like Chance, if, if Fans, you have, have no
1: idea how, how fucked up it was <laughs> at NDHD. <laughs> Yeah, You have no idea, and uh, the fact that uh, um, there are professional officers who are just carrying, uh, senior officers, who are just carrying on as if, you know, this should have been our Vietnam. I've got another bookshelf uh, here about the psychology of military incompetence and crisis in command, a whole bunch of Gabriel What's-His-Face's books. Uh, where after Vietnam, the Americans tore themselves apart to try and figure out what went wrong. And they looked pretty good until they fought in the Middle East the exact same way they fought in Vietnam, because that's all they want to do. We're not like that in Canada. That's why we have to de-Americanize our generals, and we have to start uh, doing campaigns that are in keeping with the Canadian ethos. Unfortunately, Chance, and I saw this because I was sent over to teach Foreign Affairs Canada military campaigning. Um, and I was also the head of the dele- military head of the delegation that went over to brief the British MOD on the Canadian campaign plan. And they were blown away with that, how prepared we were as a as a contingent. and And to make it even better, we bureaucratized the campaign plan and called it the common narrative this is after it left my hands uh but all the reports coming back to me from the troops on the ground uh, and of course what i followed religiously on the internet uh and uh in the news what happened in afghanistan had nothing to do with all of the plans and all of the general talk about centers of gravity and and operational lines of maneuver and all that great stuff. It all went out the window when we just started being American. And it was all about kill Taliban. When we did uh, an operation uh, um, uh, on the humpback in Afghanistan, my commander's intent, the colonel's orders to me, when we were going in on this operation was kill Taliban. That's all this colonel with all of the war college and shit. It wasn't the Rockeson colonel. We were attached to a mountain, 10th Mountain Division uh, uh, organization. But with all of this war training, all he could say to me was "kill Taliban." And meanwhile, like, like take a look at uh, you're a sapper. Uh, lo- yep. Look at did did your uh, regimental commander ever accept anything? Than the highest standard, and uh, and not just promises like we accept from our politicians, but they wanted effects on the ground as directed. We should be demanding the same from our leadership.
0: Couldn't agree more. You know that's one of the the issues that I've had with a lot of our military throughout, well, our military leadership throughout uh, my time in and out was that it was centered around. Um, the ability to or it was like it was a the no-fail army i think hack were said it in his book as well as that um it doesn't matter whether you're capable or not it has to get done and yeah i saw a lot in on one cr when i was working the incel i would see the board on uh in the ops and training center and i'd see the schedule that we had set forth that what we needed to actually accomplish and there's no fucking way like we were double triple quadruple booked at times with that we only had
1: two working
0: squadrons yeah. and we should have had four
1: yeah but you know colonel hackworth when he was writing that book he's talking about the tactical level um oh, yeah. and yeah by that by the time it gets down to that level there's no getting on that's why we see great leadership at regiment and, and battalion level uh, but the the parameters change. Remember what I said about barking up the wrong tree? Yeah, no, and, and you know, I remember as a young officer, Chance, uh, when we'd get a battalion commander, one of the three battalions, who was a real shithead. I remember on one specific occasion, uh, a good friend of mine in the first battalion, they were being tormented by a CO who will go on nameless. And I remember the drunken subby sitting around saying, but he was a great company commander. You know why is he such a dickhead now as a co you know why because at that level that's where you start to impress the generals and that's where you open up your potential to become cds and that's where the chameleons take their coat off and in my career chance there might be one person that made it to major general that uh uh i thought was a warrior that i could have trusted uh, and I won't get into names or anything. Uh, and there's a couple of brigadiers. But, you know, I was pretty good at, uh, through my career. And in retrospect, I look back. And the guys that I trusted, they they peaked at colonel. Uh, maybe one or two made it to brigadier. And maybe one to major general. The other ones, you could tell. When they became battalion commanders, all of a sudden their shit didn't stink. And that's all they cared about. So it, that's, you know, yeah, when we're leadership. talking about leadership, we really have to kind of, you have to put on a transcendental meditation kind of headset and and do the remote viewing and look into NDHQ, you know, because it's completely different, but it's connected.
0: Yeah, what I was going to say with that uh, statement was the fact that I was able to see the disconnect from the higher headquarters to the troops because we had this board that was stacked right we had so many tasks no idea how we were actually gonna make it work and i'd go down to the bay and there'd be a shit ton of sappers sitting on their ass in the bay doing nothing and there was this random disconnect because the guys that were down in the bay going like what the f- what the fuck are we doing here they talked to their sergeant and worked their way up the train and it would come down that oh we need you for said task that no one was actually doing because they wanted to impress their the next level up they said yep i can get this done no problem like it's a no it's no fail starts to fall down it's like the timing issues you know when somebody says seven o'clock want everybody here at seven o'clock and then the sergeant major says okay i want everybody here at 655 and then the but see that's, uh, warrant, I'm down. that's <laughs> the beauty
1: of the army and that's why i have this pathological commitment to troops because yeah. at that level, it becomes no bullshit. Eh? People's lives are on, uh, on the line. So you have to have that make can-do, make-it-happen attitude. And sadly, this is why it hurts so much that at a certain point, these generals that, like a lot of troops here, worship these pricks. And I've heard them talking behind closed doors. And I know what their priorities are. And I've heard from bureaucrats and elected officials you know they're they're not adverse to telling stories out of school about that general or this general like it's it's a very very uh self-serving kind of world they're insulated from uh uh the realities and you know like through my leaderology thing you know i i just empathy, for example, you know, like Karen McCrimmon is a veteran, and she's a member of parliament for uh, Stittsville, JTF2 area, of the hill there, and she believes she's empathetic to the veterans causes. Uh, And she's a good person. I, I think she's a washout as a bobblehead. She's done nothing for nobody, except maybe her constituency. And I'm talking about her in this way, because she's a leader, and she should expect this kind of uh, of attack, but uh, empathy is a line of sight fire and forget missile. In other words, yes, she is a veteran, and I'm using her uh, as an example just because of our community, that I thought when I, I kicked the Hornet's nest as veterans Ombudsman, I thought I'd get lots of support, but nah, it was all all talk, no action. So you would think and and tell Karen that she doesn't have any empathy for veterans and she'll she'll get angry you know that that would hurt her um because she is working really hard with all of the best intentions but she, the empathy she has is for the how hard her staff is working on busy work the empathy she has is with the other people in committee that she looks at and she can see how hard they're working All they're doing is emptying in baskets. We lost the war in Afghanistan. We're dying from a pandemic. And we're still fighting amongst ourselves. But, you know, she's failed as a leader because uh, she just continues to bobble her head while Rome is burning around our very ears. So I, I bring her out as a case in point because I know she's a good operator. She's a good person. She's... a a lot more patriotic than I am now, but she's part of the problem, not part of the solution. And it's tough. Because like, as much as I beak off like this, you know, you've got really got to be mindful of yourself. That's why I believe, first of all, leadership is a discipline. It's not an art. It's not a science. It's about, it's about management. But what sets you apart from management, management, mindset is a leader is there to get the best out of the people in the organization so that means coming up with a better plan that means getting a better effort out of people and that means uh uh contributing if if you know to the the greater good so it's not just the team but it's what that team is providing to the people around it you know and so that's a great leader not only leads your organization really well, but has that ability to influence that for that unit to influence everyone around. That's why like the Canadian troops in Afghanistan were brilliant. I went back as a tourist after I left the ombudsman's office and all of the, uh, when I went to the villages, the locals would talk about the Canadians, because eh? they patrolled different. They had something else yep. going for them. Eh? Uh,
0: one of the big things i noticed at least for between the americans and the canadians when we were patrolling was we were like i think is what you said earlier right the um the concept is who do i have to kill right am i going to kill that guy am i going to kill that guy am i going to kill that guy whereas we were how do we how do we see like which one is which one is good or bad like just that fundamental switch of who are we looking to kill versus who do we need to separate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just changes the, the, the way we interact with people and the look on our faces and just the the body, even though we're carrying machine guns and we're doing stuff. I mean, I could sit in the middle of a village with a machine gun on my chest and not look threatening.
1: Oh, right. hey Chance, I saw it firsthand, you know, cause we were, uh, when we went to Afghanistan, 3rd Battalion Patricia was slated for disbandment because we didn't need all that infantry. We were going to be... uh, Remember that? Bigger head, smaller body. We're going to build command support battalions and see behind walls and all that sort of bullshit. Well, so I went to Afghanistan and we were wearing... We were, you know, like the Beverly Hillbillies. But what we had were troops that had courses up the ass. They had numerous tours in in bosnia or all those shitholes that we've sent troops yeah. and what i found and th- is you know back in the, the 70s and 80s where we were dismissing peacekeeping as a it's an old and we're training for war this is just something we do to keep us busy no no that was leading edge world insurgency fifth generation warfare um It was about rules of engagement. Like the old doctrine used to be humanitarian aid, push them in the ditch. We're going to fight the Soviets. You know, that SIMIC was an also-ran thing. It's gone ass about face now. And uh, what I found when I I got over there was we had these troops who could put on the serious act. Like they went hunting Taliban seriously. But these were the peacekeepers. And I said, holy shit, we have the best counterinsurgency army going because we had NCOs who were quite comfortable social patrolling, eh? But, but they could also pick out the shitheads and the dirtbags. Now, it was a different culture in Afghanistan, so it took them a while. But our NCOs, after a while, you know, they they picked up on it. And that peacekeeping ethos, you know, firm, fair, and friendly. Uh, no, it was beautiful. It's it's almost bringing tears to my eyes now because the troops just turned. And I asked them, you know, we didn't have the shit fights that happened later on, but I certainly went looking for them. And uh, our troops never let me down. It was a very proud moment. But still, they didn't go all gung-ho and stupid, eh? They, they were ready for a fight. Right,
0: right? The, the troops were totally bought into it, right? They They were... Uh, extreme ownership. You know, exactly, right? They're, they're looking yeah. at it as my job is X. I need to do this job to the best of my ability with what I have right now. Yeah. And, you know, I saw it uh, in Afghanistan too. When we got there in 08, we had tons of NCOs who have been to, a, you know, two, three tours already. Some guys who were there in 02, some guys were 04. Oh, right? yeah. And we had some of the best leadership developed for that combat area. <laughs> Oh, yeah. With no, no. the massive amounts of experience. And uh, I like I, I can't uh, talk about them enough because they were fantastic. And then we'd get home and they'd be dismissed. Like, I, I personally watched a, a warrant of mine, VR, right before tour. Because they wouldn't let him go home and see his uh, child being born. This is like the only one that... And he's in Wainwright. Like, it's in Edmonton. It's a... It's a weekend, right? Go home.
1: Tell me about intents. No, no. No, no.
0: Yeah, I... I mean, it's like... Yeah. The the key is buy-in, right? Like, in order to get anybody to do anything you want, you have to get them to buy into what it is you're trying to sell. And when we were talking about intent earlier, that's what I mean, is that without an actual... um, This is what it looks like when we win. Your intent becomes... See how
1: long you can last. Yeah, really? yeah. Sure. So, you so let's happens. examine that concept of buy-in. Like, take it. So, so you 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 learned it in the combat sense. Take it for leadership, civilian leadership. How how do you get buy-in now? Or how do you? What do you buy into? What do the people buy into? Why are things so fucked up? I think that's why you had so much trouble getting
0: um, people to to back to stand up and go, "Hey, what the fuck is going on here?" because they're not looking at it as a direct leadership. I think there's a disconnect between, especially our politics, because we're not actually voting any one person in, right? Like I I have no say over who the leader is going to be in a party unless I'm part of that party. So I have to pay to then be a part of this party. And then I have to uh, throw my vote in to see who the leadership person is. And hopefully it's the guy I like. But if I'm not part of any parties, then I just have to sit around and vote for my local constituent and hope that he gets a majority over the whole country. Like it, it becomes the, the disconnect between our leadership from a uh, civilian to a politician is so extended that I think people just don't they either they don't understand how much power they actually have by voting and being part of uh, being involved in politics, and their part of it is they don't care. They don't they don't see it as anything changing. They're so complicit, I guess, with the system that they just don't care. So to get them to actually see well, you so have... you're
1: making a big statement there. I, I think they care, they care too much, and uh, they're uh, they the problem is is they care so much that uh, and to quote General Patton, who I used to uh, is they take counsel from their fears. And, uh, I, I say that because looking at this pandemic, I would have made some hard decisions very early on because I used to, uh, have under my command when I commanded the joint operations group in Kingston, the chemical, biological, radiological, uh, incident response squadron. And, uh, I knew that a pandemic was a hundred percent and I knew it could be serious, um, would have been a whole lot more serious if there were people dying in the streets like uh, instead of in long-term care facilities. But uh, uh, I thought that the fear of death would have created buy-in for a whole bunch of civilians where I was trying to preach moderation, breaking down these political divide and conquer because this is if you want to get into the history of conflicts, it all starts with politics and we're at the end of a cycle. Now Uh, the Ottomans and the British empires have died in the last century. The Americans are collapsing and it's going to be fucking horrible from here on in. Uh, It's just the way it is, but it starts with politics and politicians going at each other. And then you see the idiots who start and you are seeing it in the States and it's happening here it's just taken longer but it's not going to be the same we, you know a civil war is not going to be with uh one side in blue uniforms and the other side in gray uniforms with guns lined up and shooting. it's going to be ieds it's going to be carjackings it's going to be uh in uh, home invasions it's going to be uh uh Uh, drive-by shootings, it's going to be really ugly. And it's going to be anonymous for the most part. That's the way I read it. But uh, banning guns isn't going to touch it because the problems are at the top with the politics and then at the bottom with the systemic racism. And this is where the RCMP, Brenda Lucky, I worked with her in Bosnia years ago. She should have been on her toes here about the systemic racism. The reason why... The RCMP are always beating up First Nations people, is because they are so impoverished and desperate that a lot of them have turned to crime and drugs and, and things like that. That is the system doing it to them. And the, the RCMP have to deal with that because the politicians aren't. You know, there's there's some group here advertising on Facebook that their water's poisoned yet again. Eh? We can't get that thing straight. That's how it's going to happen. At the bottom end, we have this severe racism problem in Canada that we just refuse to, you know, because you're not a racist. I'm not a racist, but we do a whole lot of racist things. This is the ego because you don't want to be known as a as a racist. Neither do I. So you know what your ego tells you, Chance? You're not a racist. You might have you might hate those fucking people because they're taking your jobs. But you're not a
0: racist. No, no, I know. But you see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I hear you. That's that's the concept of self-justification. And it's a psychology thing that we, we justify our actions because, well, in this particular case. And this is where I would say to you that where leadership is a discipline. And it's a discipline in mindfulness because you have to recognize innately and immediately that you're letting your feelings get in the way of what should be done. You're letting your fear about getting promoted, getting in the way. And people would say to you, fuck off, you know, fuck off. That's, well, I can say to you uh, that there's there's tons of books. Those bottom two bookshelves there are my psychology books. It's proven that cognitive dissonance uh, uh, is avoided by your brain telling lies to you about how great you are and how fucked up everyone else. So that's where I'm challenging you, uh, uh chance, uh, about you know how they just don't see it that way. Well, there's a good reason why they don't, but they think they do, just like um I I, I would be quite open in telling people how fucked up our leadership is, because it's fucked up on the ground. Look around, it's our economy is tanking. And we're sucking on the hind teat of the Americans here. We need leadership at this point in time, but we're not getting it in a pandemic. This is all observable. I don't know how we're going to fix it unless you and I and your audience and my audience can get together and say, let's stop fighting, folks. Like, let's just demand that whoever has the mandate, whoever has the hand on the throne or their head in the throne is delivering Fix the native problem in Canada. Which is it's it's not hard. Right? Well, like, it's hugely a, hard. Jeff, I mean, it's complicated it two hundred years.
0: What I mean, it's complicated and it's in depth and it needs to be I right, like a hundred percent needs to be dealt with. But what I mean is like at the very, very base root level, what is problem one? Plays and water, we can fix that. Right? Like that that should be.
1: And we can't fix this, is people lying to themselves. Well oh, that's, that's we're all yeah. guilty of it. And well, that's yeah, this is why we have to have the frank arguments or the discussions not to win. but then, uh, you know, w- the leader should be the judge who doesn't think he knows it all or she knows it all, but like a judge, takes the evidence from the prosecution, takes the evidence from the defense, applies that to the law, and eliminates bias. As much as is humanly possible. Because it's impossible to do it completely. But we expect our judges. To be fair and impartial. We should expect the same of our leaders. Oh for sure. And that's that's what I mean. Is that.
0: If if it was actually a, a problem. In uh, the politicians eyes. And the leadership's right, eyes right now. If it was actually a problem. That people have poison water in your own country. It would be fixed. Right. It, that is. At a, if all of a sudden Edmonton or Toronto, oh my goodness, Toronto started getting poison water, that would be solved instantly. Right? Sure, it wouldn't even be a question going to the House of Commons. It would just be, yep, fix it. And yet nothing's being done when it comes to the native land, right? Like it's, this is what we were saying earlier, leadership versus manipulation, right? They want- But
1: they you, want know the you know what the difference is there? You know what the difference is there, a Chance? Hmm. It doesn't hurt us personally. And this is where the ego comes into it because I I talked to people on Facebook for 10 years almost. And then my podcast to try and bring these things out, you know, the, the displays of police violence that we see on TV, but people would come back to me on Facebook And I did this for 10 years. This is how I created leaderology. I would put out feelers to see how people would respond. And, you know, people that I knew that were good operators in the military and police who absolutely refused to accept that there are bad cops. You know, my dad, and I got this, my dad was a cop and he put on his uniform and he was, the whole family was scared every day and that, and he never, he never choked the guy out or whatever, but it doesn't matter. You were wearing the uniform. You were one of the Queens Cowboys and the Queens Cowboys are killing people. And it's not the problem with the Cowboys. It's the leadership. Oh, for sure. who have failed to slam dunk the cowboys who allow them to get through the recruiting I always point to the leadership like you know troops will do what troops will do but that's why we have section commanders I think the section commander in the Canadian army is the most important job and I, I would say that in Afghanistan they were uh, what 3PPCLI was uh, and the, the uh, attachments also our NCOs were amazing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you they, know I... on one side, they had the the troops uh, ready to act as savage and you know as you guys all experienced in war, but they were always there as the calm kind of uh you know. And I used to r- remind them, you know, you're there to keep the Canadian values going, eh? Because you're going to do and see some horrible shit. But at the end of the day, we're here because we're Canadians. And that's what the leaders have to do is unify, not divide and conquer. Now with Aaron O'Toole at the helm, they're already talking about how he's going to split up the group. And uh, yeah, but that's the fact. You can't get away from that chance. No. But it... what we can expect is results.
0: Yeah, And, you know, one of the things that uh, you just said that kind of piqued my Uh, my memory on that was that i actually had a i agree with you 100 section commanders are the vital piece of the canadian military because they influence everyone from the chain from the bottom to the top and i mean that because they are teaching the junior officers like the sergeants and warrants are teaching the junior officers how to lead let me ask you
1: something uh chance um in in your experience in the uh, in the uh, engineers, uh, did, did, when your CO left the unit, did he not get a, a banner or a, a flag or something? Yeah,
0: yeah, there was always something that he got something.
1: What uh, about squadron uh, commanders? History. When a squadron commander left, didn't they get a... Perver- oh, yeah. did, When a section commander gave up command of the section, did they get anything? Nope. No, nah, taking the nuts. And, and in yeah. the infantry section commander sergeant is the only real commander in the army yeah they're all uh, everywhere else they're uh sergeants major yeah um but a section commander and when i was in the ppcli i tried to get i wanted to have it when you got your section i wanted to give you a plaque with a bayonet on it saying most important job in the army because i would send section commanders off In Afghanistan to do like we we had uh, a there was an attack on the palace in Kandahar and there was a bunch of bodies and stuff and we they needed a squad for security right away and uh, so I sent sergeant Austin section while I went through the company but uh, and then the word came back well send an officer with them from the Americans and I said no we don't do that Yeah. you know, there, here's a sergeant with 15 years of operational experience, like, uh, yeah. but all I have to say is, you know, we, we look up for our leaders. We don't look down. That's just a section commander. But- so important. Well, important. you know, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever asked you that question. Why don't, if there's that freaking important, why don't they get something special? Now, yeah, a, a, a sergeant gets to walk around with a sash and a stick. But yeah. that's yeah. that's the slash and the, That's not yeah. the yeah. command thing, eh? Because yeah. you get a pay stick when you're a bigger NCO. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, such well, an important job, but yeah. we, we dismiss it.
0: One of the things that uh, I've always said with the sergeants, I had so I got two pieces of information very early on in my career uh, from sergeants that uh, really kind of stuck with me. The first one was, you want to get into the sergeants and warrant mess because it's the only mess you can get into that you have to earn your right to be there and everything else like right somebody commissions into the military you got to go through basic and all this other stuff but once you're at the unit you can go to the officer's mess if you finish basic and you go through your training and you can go to the junior ranks mess but it's the only one that you actually have to work in your own that trade yeah. to get and earn that right to get into the sergeant Warren's mess. which always kind of stuck with me and i was like that is yeah, fantastic.
1: Well, now, haven't they done away with masses in the military?
0: Uh, I don't know. I've been out for a while now. So. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't know. Um, but so the other part was I firsthand had my careers changed for the negative and the positive by, by one section commander. Right. Sure. It, took, it took one sergeant to make me angry and bitter, hate life, and not want to be in the army anymore. And then it took one section commander to turn that around. Yep. Right, and and you, I believe
1: that, uh, the role of a leader, the leadership is the discipline of getting the best out of people.
0: Yeah, and it, you know it, The other part of it, the least, you're absolutely correct. But I think the key is being able to read what that person needs, right? Because for me, I need to be challenged. Yeah. Right. Yep. I need someone to call me on my own bullshit and go, okay. Yeah, you know what, you're right. <laughs> if yeah. people start agreeing with me or uh, just flat out throwing me to the wolves, then it doesn't. Yeah. Like I don't. I'm don't getting anything from that, right? But if yeah, if, I then...
1: would submit. Chance, correct me if I'm wrong, but if, if even if the the sergeant who who you know knows that inside you're you're looking for a challenge, even if he treats you like if he's a prick and he treats you really hard, you know, um, if it's tough love. Uh, you know, you 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 absorb it. You you don't you don't think poorly. At least that's my experience. I worked for some really hard colonels, but I knew that how, what what um, uh, drove them, and I knew why they were driving me. Eh, and um, yeah, I always appreciated that. But th- you can tell, eh? Yeah,
0: yeah. There's a very really, defined fine line between hard love and being an asshole. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> it's it's yeah. very,
0: and it really depends on the person, right? Because your tough love is different than my tough love, right? I, I need, I need tasks. Cause, you know, in my mind, I'm an engineer, right? I, I need jobs. Give me a job. Give yeah, me, yeah. give me like. But it, it needs to be within boundaries. This is, you, you need to te- uh, do task A. Do not exceed your left and right, and then, so yeah, do not exceed your your boundaries on the left and right. But this is my intent. This is what I want you to finish. And for me, I'm like fantastic, awesome, great. And but no explanation, no do it this way, no blah 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 blah. Just let me run. And I know lots of guys who need the the style of leadership where you just like you will do everything I fucking say to the letter.
1: Well, Period. let me follow on from that. I had I had, uh, I had a, a company commander come up to me. Um, he was heading off. He he was leaving theater early to go to Toronto, an important course and uh, i was saying goodbye to him you know the ceo's briefing or departure thing and and he said you know sir i was amazed that he said to me i was amazed cuz i always ask for feedback and he says i was amazed at how much risk you were prepared to accept and i said what do you mean like we're in a war here and he said well i never i never saw you in my company lines you know he was at income. and i said to him i said the reason why is because when I would hand you a seed of an idea, you would come back with a bouquet of flowers of you know options or come back, may not be exactly what I was expecting, but he was a smart guy and came up with his own solutions to things. And sometimes they were better than my idea. Sometimes they weren't, but they still facilitated my overall intent. And so I said to him, you know why? And I'll just use a pseudonym here. You know why, Shane? Because... I was spending all my time with the company commanders that I didn't have confidence in because, you know, they might need, and not overwatching them or bullying them. I I don't even think they would have noticed because I was just there and we're talking, you know, and sometimes their Niner had to to put the push on, but uh, it was a full-time job. uh, I found connecting on the moral plane. There was always the co thing, the Because the, this is my command model, has three parts to it. A, a commander has leadership, management, and authority. And the authority piece of it is either legal or it's moral. And it's best if it's both. But in the military, most people rely on their legal authority. You know, fuck right. you, Sergeant. Just yeah. do what you're told. I tried to, because very often, well, especially with Sergeant, they've been trained. They've had the same course as I have. Uh, they better know their job better than I do because they've got experience that I don't have. Uh, But with that kind of connection, and that it comes down to respect, and that's something that's... Because I want to talk about this buy-in. You put in buy-in as one of the things that we're discussing, but respect is the big thing that's missing in CV Street, uh, Chance. It blew me away leaving the military because that was the only kind of... And that was imposed on us, by uh by queen's regulation and order that respect but i I remember i got contacted by uh on facebook god bless facebook by a a sergeant who commanded my weapons debt when i was a company commander and he just gave me an attaboy and said you know you were the first company commander that actually asked me my opinion and and you know because that's how i learn how good these guys are right and or and so I was always putting, it, it's a test. It's a way of testing your troops and not do or die. But uh, but this has got to be 25 years later, Chance. And he contacts me and he says, you know, I really appreciated that.
0: Yeah, and you know. I
1: said, well, you know, I respected you as a sergeant. That's, like a sergeant has a lot of qualifications.
0: Absolutely. And it it brings to the point that... When we go through leadership training one of the things that we always taught is leadership leaders always lead and follow right you can't be a good leader unless you're a good follower and i it, disagree with that well this is this is what it never really I disagree connected. that vehemently that's that's army um, bullshit no no just let me explain so it never clicked in my head because i was always thinking straight up and down right i was thinking you follow and i will lead and from above you tell me and i will follow and it never clicked in my head until, little as you were talking, uh, it brought up a thing that I was thinking about a while back. But anyway, um, the the ability to lead and follow is to be the be able to be a leader uh, in air quotes, but giving away that leadership and then you're following along because yeah, sure you're the man in charge, great, but who's the one doing the job? The guy on the ground. So you have to get him to lead you by telling him kind of, what I'm beating around the bush, but basically it is that, as you said earlier, you give him an intent. This is what I would like to see happen. And then you are going to follow him with his plan because he has to buy into his plan. So he's going to go do it. And you just kind of sit there and go.
1: Yeah, see, here's, here. here, this was another thing I was trying to do in leaderology. There's, uh, have you read any of Colonel Boyd's work? I don't think so, no. Okay are you are you familiar with the decision action cycle observe orient decide yeah, and act? Yeah. Well, when uh like cuz the army doctrine and I've got a, a a a presentation that I got off Strum Galloway a a famous RCR guy and one of his key points is to be a good leader you got to be a good follower. I disagree. I wanted to have a battalion of leaders following me. And so in the, in the Boyd cycle or the decision act observe orient decide and act. And what you want or what I wanted was that at every level of command, not to wait for orders, not to wait for the plan. It's the Orient Box. You got to build this. So in the Orient Box, okay, you have certain attributes that you want to you want to uh, um, bring out in people. And in the person, there are skills, knowledge, and attitude. You want to cultivate the skills, the knowledge, and attitude through training. Okay, and then when you're on operations, there are uh, constraints, limitations, and freedoms. So let me go through this. So you get inside your, your troops' heads. You've already built the skills, knowledge, and attitude. And and like my attitude was, everyone's a leader. When when I welcomed troops into Kandahar, I said, you guys are going to make 10, 000, 10 million decisions while you're here. And I've empowered you all to make decisions without referring to hire. I say... Let, uh, because as you know, a decision to walk across a field could be life and death. And I said, let this be your guide. Whatever you decide, I'll back you. But just make sure you're you're prepared to brag about it to your grandkids when we go back home about what decision, whatever this. Just let that be your guide, and otherwise go off and make. And so within that orient box, there are constraints, uh, uh, restrictions, and freedoms. And this is what I would think of. The constraints are things that I tell soldiers they have to do. Do whatever you want, but you have to do this. So you're constrained by that. Uh, Freedoms. How many times in a set of orders were you ever told you're free to do this, that, or whatever? It's always restrictions. Restrictions was the bottom of my list. But very important. Like, you know, no war crimes. Like, we're here morally. But so what I tried to do, Chance, and this is what I tried to do through leaderology and, and my podcasts, and uh, is try to bring out the leader in people so that they observe, they orient in terms of what they're good at, their skills, knowledge, and attributes, and then the constraints, restrictions, and freedoms, and they decide and they act. And I told... Now... Long story short, when I was leaving the third battalion, I told my successor uh, I relied on back briefs. I'd go around and I'd be talking to company commanders. And uh, when I went Figmo in Afghanistan and stopped going around getting back briefs from various uh, commanders, I lost touch like that because they were in in the habit of making decisions. They knew what had to be done to come home from Afghanistan. They were doing it. The DCO was calling the shots, all of the company commanders. And before I knew it, I was... So I said to my successor, you know, uh, I was kind of... uh, This is my approach to maneuver warfare. And... uh, uh, But he went the other way. He tightened down the ropes and and, uh, was more uh, centrally controlled. Now, both ways work. You know, we've all had COs who were the best section commanders in the world by their own admission. Yeah. Because they commanded every section in the battalion. Yep. But in a war in confusion, you know, it comes down to firepower, quite honestly. But uh, I want to have, well, but in a life and death situation, the real leadership comes out, as you know, Chance. Absolutely.
0: uh, And this is exactly what I'm saying is that you have to be able to lead. When I say lead and follow is that you have to be able to lead at the lowest level. The every, the lowest guy needs to be
1: able to lead, right? And the the leader should be able to follow. Okay, now put yourself in, in the caucus of the Liberal Party. Mm-hmm. And I, I've just been hypercritical of one member of Parliament. Yeah. Uh, because, like, she's following. Yeah.
0: It's mind-blowing.
1: Well, no, understand. but she's following. By your definition, she's a great follower.
0: She's... This is where... This is what I mean, is that as as a leadership, if I'm looking up to the leadership, right? And they say, say, you're my Colonel. I'm a master corporal in your battalion. And I've, all I've gotten from you is your general intent, right? I want you to take that town. I'm going to take that town. Okay, cool. Well, the first thing I'm going to do is talk to my troops and be like, okay, I need, we need to take this first building. We're going to need fire support from here. We're going to need blah, 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 blah. I'm going to start working the plan on how to do that. And you're going to, follow me in is what i'm saying so it's not that it you are leading and you're following
1: No, oh, okay but let me let me put on let let me put this uh to you let, let's let say you're you're you've been told to attack a hospital
0: the leader and say no that goes against those engagements as per blah, 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 blah. sir right so sir. get on with it and that's
1: no, so get sir, on with are, it.
0: Well, sir, I'll tell you what, this is my new plan.
1: Now, now be careful what you say here because yes. that's easy for you to say. Yes. And yes. I can tell you that by by failing to do it, um, chances are you'd be thrown in jail. Yes. And that'd be the end of your career. Yep. And that'd be the end of your livelihood for your family. Yes. And I'm saying this because I walked away from my military career and I threw my my employability on a fire when yep. i was the veterans ombudsman and i haven't had a job since and well, you look you know, at you, know. you look at snowden you look at these levels and this yep. is why you know you got to be you got to take yourself out of this picture when you're looking at these people uh, up at the higher levels because if you don't follow you're fucked look at yep. jwr within trudeau you know she did the right thing and stood up to him she's fucked she i don't know if she'll get in again but she was thrown on the heap and uh, forgotten about now we can question her integrity or intentions and all that, but the fact of the matter, you don't follow, you're not getting promoted. Your career is probably at the end of the rope, and uh uh yeah, so you know, well, it's easy for you to say because you yeah. went in a battle, and at that point in time, you just assume that our presence in Afghanistan was legal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like, you know, we assume that Omar Kader was a terrorist.
0: Well, that's interesting. That's debatable. I mean, my opinion on that oh, is... Oh, it's, uh... it's,
1: it's conclusive, but we'll never end, end that because there's a whole bunch of people that believe in their heart of hearts. And another thing that psychology tells us, and it's been measured and proven, that it takes way more uh, evidence to change a person's mind than it ever takes to uh, set their bias in the first place. And once that bias is set, people are blind. I'm blind, you're blind. And unless you have a relationship with your subordinates, like I had with mine, where certain guys would come and say, with all due respect, Colonel, that's a fucking stupid idea. I got in yelling matches with my uh, legal officer and she came back uh, afterwards and apologized. I said, what are you apologizing for? You know, I didn't take her advice. Uh, and she French Canadian uh, passion, I guess, or whatever. But I like that because I was even more convinced after the facts came out that what I was doing, and it turned out that it was the correct thing to do. But without that kind of feedback, you know, that all of the stuff doesn't come out. So it takes a bigger commander to have that kind of a relationship. And there were times I'll tell you, chance where uh, a certain major who i think he's a 3 star now uh tested me in front of everybody by you know cuz maybe what i said was stupid or something and you got to you got to make make an example of them at the time and make it you know quick and painless and all that and and not belittle the person but uh the tendency is if you let people speak their minds they will so you got to make sure you're not you know, going to well, overreact when they tell yeah. you how fucked up and you are.
0: Humility, which is key, right? But humility, I find in my experience, humility and ego are two sides of the coin, right? You have to have enough ego that you want to do better, right? You think you can do better. And you know you can do better, so I'm going to fucking do better. But the humility of it is you have to recognize that something is not up to par
1: first. So, so what? What? what is humility?
0: for me humility is the ability to recognize your own faults not even just your own faults but just uh, that you don't know everything and work from that assumption if i don't know yeah no and i'm
1: playing with you here chad but this this idea of humility
0: yeah.
1: you know have humility and we use that term as if it's a weakness
0: yeah i i, I, I I mean, no, humility. I <laughs> but... got no
1: humility. You know, I don't like to get humility on me. I'm a hardcore army officer. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. But no, but, it, and that plays on people's minds. But, yeah. you know, yeah. there is nothing subordinating, nothing disgraceful in apologizing to someone. No. Yeah, yeah I was wrong. Yeah. No, you know, so humility. Well, you know, have some humility. Apologize. No, when you're wrong, man up or <laughs> yeah, well, woman up yeah but this is why i play with humility because we brought it in our lexicon you know why because people are sensitive and yeah. that guy has no humility you know that's mm-hmm. and well of course he doesn't but no it's just common decency i screw up i i use a four-letter word and it offends you sorry i'll try not to you know yeah. that kind yeah, of thing that's, it comes ownership, back right? to respect.
0: that's the ownership it at, at a very um minute level it goes right down to your personal interactions right how do you interact with people can can you interact better can you interact um more in tune with what the situation is calling for one of the things that a lot of guys get in trouble with when they're when they get out of the army is the fact that they're so used to being able to speak their mind to their peers like with no filter and the average person they they need a filter from what from the thoughts and speech of the truth, right like uh but then without the ownership people go well fuck i'm just speaking the truth right whatever i'm just this is who i am i'm not blah, blah, blah. but with actual humility with actual ownership of the problem if you yeah. say something and they're the other person offended and you're like oh shit sorry man didn't mean to i didn't mean to offend you my apologies i'll try not to do that anymore and that's perfectly fine. I don't understand why that would be uh, looked down on, but it is. Uh, I actually had at one point a sergeant major wanted to sit in on an O.C.'s hour when we were in the field. And uh, I, in front of the entire squadron, I stood up and was like, sir, that is not a good idea. You really should not be involved in the O.C.'s hour. It's not your position. And he said, well, corporal, I'm sergeant major. Shut the fuck down.
1: Well, there's a fine line there. I uh, know, yeah, absolutely I was, yeah, no, I was no. out of line but. we've always we've always been around people who seem to have a better answer for everything. Like we're we're not. Uh, I'm not suggesting that uh, a follower has to be the official opposition, absolutely. but uh, but comments like that, like uh, you know, you, you're treading a fine line. But if you really think that's not the place. Um, and, you know, I, I was lacking tact, right? I, I could have done it better,
0: which I tried to do afterwards. I tried to link up with them afterwards outside, not surrounded by the rest of the troop, not surrounded by the rest of the squadron. Uh, but this is something you learn over time and with experience, is that there, there's a point, like I said, where if you're going to say something to me that is absolutely wrong, in my point of view, I'm going to bring it up to you, and I'm going to bring it up to you right then and there. No question. But that's me it's gotten me in trouble <laughs> a few times. Um, but I've realized over the, over the years and through experience of getting into those troubles, that tact is very important in how you speak to people. And that Oh yeah. Something.
1: Well, you know, and is tact tied into respect? Uh, I think a little bit for sure. You know, yeah.
0: I was bitter. Uh, like at the time I was bitter, I was an angry, bitter corporal and I really didn't give a shit. And I was figure I figured I was going to be getting out after this next tour anyway. So the fuck cares uh, um
1: so but the, so the audience is important you know i uh, i uh i always wanted to hear you no know, the unwashed unvarnished truth from the troops and uh uh you know some of the troops <clears throat> some of the troops are great because i had to they had to have my trust that i wasn't a shit accelerator if the troops weren't happy in a company um with whatever's going on like you know morale was the shits after month four but uh i i would go and talk to troops and they'd, they they and i'd ask some sensitive questions as well you know i don't want to be disloyal to the boss kind of thing and i said you're not being disloyal like because some of the things that i, I might have a company doing And I can only speak to that level of command. But some of the things that I might tell a company commander to do might be fucking stupid. And maybe the company commander didn't tell me it was stupid. Or maybe he didn't understand, you know, my intent and took the orders too literally or something. So I I, I used to, you know, sit down with the troops in the trenches, light up a cigarette. How's it going? No. Okay, no bullshit now. You know, what's going wrong? And... Uh, it was a tough thing for them to come out and be honest with me because we're all one team kind of thing, you know. Once the troops recognized that I wasn't a shit accelerator and wouldn't launch off and rip a strip off the RSM and all that shit, uh, I think because we had that kind of communication, uh, I think uh, it was beneficial. Again, you know, it's very much that. And it's not interpersonal skills. This is bringing the best out of people. You know, I'm not a good people person. Like I, I talk too much, and I, I talk too loud. And uh, but when we're going into battle, it, like my job was not to keep my C7 cleaned and accurate. My job was to keep 850 of them. Uh, you know, to to have those. I had those weapon systems. I look at a soldier as a weapon system, and it starts with the heart and the emotion and, and skills, knowledge, and attitude that I, I had cultivated for 18 months before we went off to Afghanistan. I had this observe, orient, decide, act construct in my head from day one. Like my aim was to instill on every soldier in the battalion. I had two words walking into that battalion. My intent was empowerment and ownership. It, that's why I cued when you brought up, when I interviewed you on the show there about Jocko Will, about extreme ownership. Because those two words, I said, nobody's anonymous in this battalion. You know, if somebody screws up, we all own it. Yep. And so you have to control each other. You know, I empower you to. And the troops, we we sent 850 troops. The only respite that the troops had when we were there was 96 hours in Dubai. Otherwise, they were in uh, trenches or on the back of aircraft. And uh, we sent 850 troops to Dubai for four days, and we didn't have one single police report. And it's not because the troops weren't breaking the two drinks per man per day per person per day thing. Not at all. It's because at every level they were looking out for each other. We moved people in in sections. Section commanders had a ruthless... We didn't send them off in dribs and drabs. We'd do a proper relief in place and send uh, a formed body of troops off on R&R. And that worked. You know, we went to basics. This is just simple basics. We had... You could count the number of negligent discharges on two fingers, I think. Because I we might have had a second one. I don't know. But uh, there was no messing around with clearing your weapon and all that. When you went out, you were loaded for business, and uh, you know when when things were down. Then you, you, but we didn't have clearing going into every bay. We expected every soldier to be an expert with their weapon, and that was all coming to me from NCOs. You know, the RSM, company sergeant major, they were telling me things. You know, in Bosnia, you know the reason why we get so many negligent discharges because we got troops clearing their weapons fucking stupidly. You know, every. Every room, I, like I never served in Bosnia, with so I don't know this, but I went with the NCOs, you know. When you pick up your weapon, you're going to war. And as a result, we treated the troops like professionals. And we, quite seriously, we, we had next to no, I think we might have had two negligent discharges. The only other one I can think of was a sergeant who, cleaning his pistol.
0: Yeah, th- and th- and those, uh, those brownings are not the, the greatest for weapon safety.
1: Yeah, but you still, uh, you can still.
0: For sure, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, just take the magazine off and just make sure there's no shiny thing in that hole. It's not that hard. And guys get tired. Guys get tired. Guys get distracted. And that's why when they were handling their weapons, it was serious. Uh, But again, it was the NCOs coming to me with this answer. And I was prepared because... We had all sorts of bullshit coming to us from NDHQ. Like, when we, when I sent Recky Platoon out to live with the Mujahideen, uh, we didn't know who these guys were. They wanted pass... NDHQ wanted me to get passport numbers for the Mujahideen. And I said, are you idiot? Like, this is an actual discussion with the general. Oh, man. I said... I, "I said," And I said, come on. Like, is this really necessary? And they said, well, Pat, we, wanted, we want to be sure that you're not dealing with the enemy. And I said, the only way you can tell whether they're friend or enemy here is by which way they're pointing their barrel
0: shooting at you they're um, bad guys they're not shooting at you well they're they're, they're there
1: well uh, you know and the troops didn't uh um go into these things like they bonded it was great like it turned having that connection because up until that point the mujahideen used to be outside the perimeter and uh, the the marines would only patrol in uh, cobras and, uh, and labs, like whereas we sent these guys out with their sleeping yeah. bags to yeah. to live with yeah. these guys, and uh, overnight they they loved Canadians. Well, mutual. They started respect, coming right? to the Canadian tent. Yeah. Say again. Mutual respect. Right. Warriors looking at warriors. When our troops said they'd do something, they did. Yeah. They do it. Yeah. But yeah. um, uh, really it
0: kind of formed my outlook at how I should be a soldier was very early on. I had a sergeant tell me that you are not, um, you're not just you anymore, right? No matter what happens, you are Canadian forces soldier, blah, 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 blah. So good or bad, you are now linked to every single other person in uniform. And if somebody fucks it up for everybody else, guess what? You're in that same fucking boat. And if yeah. you don't want to be that guy, don't be that guy. <laughs> like, if you get a speeding ticket and you mouth off to the police, the next, the story in the news is going to be Canadian Forces Soldier, so-and-so-and-so, arrested for whatever. Right? It's not uh, it's not Chance Burroughs anymore. It's not Pat Strogan anymore. Oh, yeah. And,
1: uh, you know, in, in our case, in 3PPCLI, um, uh, they, they had the reputation of being the uh, uh, the airborne incarnate, um, and uh, they were hated by uh, Army headquarters. And uh, I was told by uh, PPCLI general that uh, if we fucked up in Afghanistan, uh, it might be the last nail in the coffin of the PPCLI. Wow. This is no bullshit and uh because the patricians had no generals in those days and uh and uh uh when we came back uh i i had done some things that um were uh a little unconventional and probably could have landed me in hot water except uh we had the media there and uh the media covered our troops and showed them in the very best light. And, and what I did, Chance, was uh, uh, I on our when I first arrived there in Kandahar, and it was like middle of the night, and uh, the Marines were dug in. It was complete light discipline. And uh, there was uh, Nala Ayed, she's with CBC now. She was on the ground to meet us there. Oh. And uh, she'd been to Jalalabad for the attack on Tora Bora. And I said, wow, th- this is pretty... Uh, pretty impressive professionalism here so uh we had a small talk and i said hey you know what you you can go anywhere you want and talk to the troops and uh initially the troops because they weren't accustomed to this but i figured in the back of my mind if the press and i got burned by a couple but for the most part um i would impress upon them you know Our lives depend on you keeping operational secrets. I said, uh, so, you know, names, dates, places and all that. And so we had an agreement, but still they were allowed to. The troops were very uncomfortable with that because they, uh, well, because they'd been brought up wrong. But after they saw how the press just reported and stayed out of our way and they weren't exposing us to danger. uh, I think one of the reasons why, um, let's say. Any uh, any bad blood Didn't spill over when we came back Was because our troops Really impressed the media uh, Because they were taking You know Stephen Thorne Went up on Tora Bora with the troops And he saw the sappers Because we, were, we blew off the side of that mountain Because if there were any caves we were going to find them yeah. And uh, we had chopper load After chopper load of beehives And the guys were just anything that looked like a cave Um so, uh, uh, but yeah, and then we had guys going off on patrols and, uh, the troops won the hearts and minds. Uh, no, it was my operation, um, uh, was a, uh, the manifestation of, 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 of observe, orient, decide, and act. And that was kind of, cause you know, we all thought we were airborne troops and we were special. JTF2 was kind of new, but you know, airborne troops are independent and so observe orient decide not that fit into the ethos of the troops and they didn't let me down
0: it's such a great that ooda loop is so uh it's just so amazingly astute that it's, it's like it's usable in everyday life across the board like you can you can actually work out an ooda loop for whatever it is you want to do and then follow it it's very simple right if you want oh, something yeah. you look at it and say okay well how do i make that happen okay, Okay, I need to do this, 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 and this. Cool. I'm going to do it. And then you go into fight to it. <laughs> and then you...
1: Re- yeah, do, and, and that kind of... And that's the way he did... He, the way Colonel Boyd came up with that concept was he saw that American fighters were destroying communist fighters in uh, in Korea. Yeah. And he looked at the Mustang compared to the MiG or whatever they were flying and, and realized because they oh, had better dear, firepower yeah. and more speed. yeah, But the cockpit of the American, uh, aircraft allowed him to observe and orient his aircraft to counterattack faster. So, uh, he was always one step ahead of, or they were always one step ahead of their adversaries. Well, Colonel Boyd was a history prof at, uh, the Marine Corps University in Quantico. And, uh, he reverse engineered all of these campaigns and he realized that The organizations that would win the fastest were ones that everybody was watching and could orient and move with great. He used the term agility, not speed. So it's changing directions, exploiting opportunities. You know, it comes down to like we were talking about jujitsu. And it's the same thing. You know, you feel a little not not much pressure here so you jam troops into it or anyways i'm getting carried away here no, but exactly that's what right. i loved
0: about my time in the army yeah and you know it is one of those uh, the lessons that i think a lot of people don't learn the average person um because they're never really pushed to that kind of level right for like people that are into martial arts we get into this because we we enjoy it it's not because we want to get punched in the face a whole bunch of times it's because we actually enjoy the, the strategy of it. And any martial art you go into is going to be like that. But the average person, like there aren't many martial artists in the world. All around. Like when you think about it, in terms of the vast population of the world, 7 billion people, there's maybe a few hundred million martial artists. You look at military guys who are actually, you know, uh, combat prepared or combat veterans, even less. Right, you're maybe million. Oh yeah, right. And- no, and
1: that's the danger of looking at, you know, I, I, like even a martial artist. It doesn't necessarily mean you have the proper um, attitude towards it, and yeah. because we're not homogeneous, no. eh? and uh, um, it's the same thing with Black Lives Matter. Like, yeah, there are uh, professional criminals that are taking advantage of that movement, and uh, so there's you know but at the end of the day it's about racism systemic racism and but yeah there, there's even in military you know it 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 takes uh a curve, right? well it takes a collective effort like the, the whole idea you know i say our success when i go back to the negligent discharges and the uh and the r&r in dubai um uh, it was a team effort every like you know everybody screws up uh uh, and maybe gets a little drunk at the wrong time or whatever. But when there are other people who are looking out for you, that's where it all comes together, and that's the kind of teamwork that has to transcend the workplace, you know. And I thought when I was the ombudsman, and, and after I left, that we're all veterans. That you know, we're going to come together for each other. Well, no, there's there's almost a million of us, and we're lucky if we can get a thousand people to uh, a thing, you know, Uh, and this is why I wanted to touch on buy-in because this is, I thought buy-in would be easy when I left the uh, military with veterans and all that. But uh, until people are actually at risk of being harmed, they will shoot off and they will talk like they've been to every war, uh, um, you know, they, they, you know, and it's like us talking about what they should be doing in Parliament. We have no idea. We just know that we have a pandemic now that's killing us and we have yeah. a prime minister who says, Provinces, you know, ask, we, we'll give you whatever you want. You know, there's no, none of this leadership, none of this observe, orient, decide and act. It's all yep. you know, oh, we'll ask me for it and I'll give it to you. Like, there's no leadership out there. It's it's all bogus it's uh uh and it's going to implode on us absolutely guaranteed um it's it's not it's not an accident that john vance is the longest serving cds
0: yeah i uh um yeah i don't even want to get into him but the uh what i was gonna say uh, about an hour hour in hour change now in and uh we've covered the gambit here i'm oh, it's pretty lot happy of fun. thank you very much for being on
1: chance this is great I, this kind of talk uh you know uh, uh the the answers it's like we were you know you said it's not a question and answer thing you're looking for a discussion but these discussions there are no answers to this That's exactly right we got to be thinking about it all the time and we got to be you know when i do something that is self-serving or whatever um uh, like I, I'm a human being, and you know, if I was in command, I would want my RSM to give me a kick in the nuts. Totally. Like I was that totally. close, that tight with my RSM, and I think all commanders were. But you know, tell me when I'm not making sense. Like giving a regimental coin to it's uh, not. It's not just that, right? Anyways, I don't want yeah, no, to no, go back there. That, the,
0: uh, the, the RSM gave me the, shit. Uh, the the key is <laughs> being able to to take. Um to take it right like it's always great you can talk about whatever you want you can tell people what to do but you got to be able to you have to be able to take it you have to be able to when somebody says that's fucking stupid you got to be like oh okay you know well, what let me, let me look at it
1: and you know i for command influence i have that little crest and and i use the moniker mission team yeah. self selfie eh? to me yeah. the t the mission was more important than myself Absolutely. and uh and our mission was successful and like i say we, in other ways because everybody was observing orienting yep. and
0: I, I couldn't agree more well again this has been uh, a really great conversation and i think there's a lot of really good information that people can pull from all of this so i just want to thank you again for being on here and it has been my pleasure do you have anything uh if people want to find you or follow you on social media do you have anything that
1: uh well i'm not terribly I, i'm not doing much uh leadership experimenting on there anymore but i'm on yeah. facebook and and i can get message there and um yeah uh uh my command influence you can put that in i don't know if you uh, uh have space uh, website or um how uh you know but m- uh, I'm open to any correspondence right. for sure, definitely. Especially if troops cool. are in trouble.
0: Uh, do you have any final points before we shut her down?
1: No. Uh, good luck on this. Uh, keep the discussions going, um, and uh, I, I wish you the success. You, uh, you know, I hope you get buy-in, better buy-in than I did. Uh, but I gotta say, it's such hard work uh, that uh, you know, I the marketing and all that stuff. I, I, I was at the point chance where i either had to put my nose to the grindstone and really try to make it pay or i just had to uh, because it took so much work and so i i had to kind of close it down plus i got a grandson now so uh that's my my i think i've done enough (laughs) so no but but more power to you chance i wish you uh i love the name tools for the toolbox because uh we can always use more tools
0: that concludes this episode of The Toolbox. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you were able to use some of the information that was offered. I want to thank all those putting it on the line for us every day. Military, veterans, first responders, and public servants. Keep up the good work. I look forward to bringing you more tools for your toolbox. And until next time, stay open, stay humble, and stay focused. GMO